You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the MLHS Podcast. My name's Ian Tullock. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli, as always. And joining us today is friend of the show, Dom Lushijan. I don't know how I did in the pronunciation there. I always botch it, and I've known you for how many years now? I apologize, buddy, but you work at The Athletic. You've been doing great stuff there. We're going to have you on today to talk about some off-season targets, but first things first. I know you're already rolling your eyes at me for mispronouncing your name, so just get out all the insults that you want to get out right now. I know that they're on the tip of your tongue. This man has been welcomed into my house (laughs) and has the audacity on his podcast that I've joined for the fourth or fifth time, possibly more. I've met him in real life. I've gone for drinks with him, although it was a very long time ago, and he pronounces my name like he's meeting me for the first time. Loose Shizhen. What are you doing? You're trying too hard. That one was pretty good. Loose Chishin. I like that you brought up that you met him in person like it was a chore. You're like, <laughs> I actually took time out of my life to speak to this man in person. He brought me a burrito. He put he put hot sauce on it. <laughs> Honestly, that changed my life. That did change my life. You're welcome. How can you ask for a burrito without hot sauce? Ridiculous. I didn't know better. But let's actually try to stay on topic here, because if we start talking about meeting me in real life and spending time with me outside of the podcast, this is going to go in a not good direction. So the offseason is upon us shortly. We're recording this before game five of the Stanley Cup finals. I really hope that three hours from now, the offseason begins and that this isn't part of Montreal's heroic comeback to win the Stanley Cup. But either way, we need to discuss the Leafs offseason when it comes to the types of players that they need to add. One of the tough things about evaluating the Leafs offseason or trying to project which players they want to add is that we don't know how much cap space they're going to have. We're not sure if they're going to make any major moves, moving out salary, whether it's a Kerfoot or Riley. We're pretty sure they're not going to move any of the star players. But since this is a Leafs podcast, Dom, I'll ask you, if you're in the Leafs front office right now, before we get into some of these players that we're going to be discussing, what would you do to maximize their cap space? Because it's obviously a bit of a hurdle that they need to jump over heading into 2022. I've been saying this since they've lost, and it's only become more confusing as Montreal has demolished Winnipeg and somehow outplayed Vegas and probably going to win tonight to make this series interesting because they just keep doing these things. And every game they win, it makes the Leafs choke jobs seem better and worse at the same time. And I I keep looking back on that series and thinking, what do you even do? Because this team seemed good. It seemed really good. It seemed like the team that would finally pull through when they were up 3-1. And this was the year where they brought in all these intangible elements. So this stuff wouldn't happen again. And it happened again. So I don't, I don't know what you do with this team anymore. I don't know if it matters. I don't know if any changes will change what happens next year because it'll probably be a first-round date with Boston or Tampa, maybe in Florida. And it'll just be the same thing every year for eternity, just Groundhog Day. Um, I mean, don't bring back Anderson unless it's a steep pay cut. That's one way. Did you see what he was reportedly asking for recently? I don't know if we can believe those reports. Like, I, I don't really understand what happens in Toronto, the way that numbers get. Th- it's embarrassing. Like, I heard today that the Leafs are, like, suddenly interested in Taylor Hall. <laughs> I was like, that? Okay. From from whomst? With what money? Darren, Darren Dreger. I was just watching TSN before 
we were, I was like, okay, money's there's no salary cap anymore. So that's cool. <laughs> Hold on, now they're interested in Taylor Hall. Now? I mean, I don't know if my I don't know if I don't know if my ears weren't working because you know I was digesting that England win, but I heard Taylor Hall. He kind of just threw it out there casually. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. They're probably he's probably going back to Boston, but like there's other teams that are interested, like including the Leafs. I'm like, cool, just add the Leafs. Like the Leafs are interested in everybody. So the way I see it, when it comes to their cap space, I, I know Alex Kerfoot's someone they're potentially looking at protecting in this upcoming expansion draft. I think he's the easiest way to move out salary, whether it's through a trade or exposing him to Vegas. That frees up three and a half million dollars. Morgan Riley, someone we brought up a lot in this podcast, when it comes to. Not just his current contract, because I think it's more than fair value, but his next contract, I think, is something you're potentially fearing. But let's get to our actual targets of the offseason. Hold on, though. Can we can we back up here for a sec? Because I think that this is crazy. Kerfoot was not good this season. Like, I get that he was good in the playoffs, but he was legitimately bad, and he makes $3.5 million. And if Seattle's going to take him for free, I don't know what they're – like, what are they doing? argument would be he played really well alongside William Nylander in the regular season there's a decent sample of that and then in the playoffs when he played with Nylander they were awesome together does that get the most out of Kerfoot's strengths his transitioning ability his passing ability that's what I'd say if I'm Kerfoot's agent who who played bad with Nylander this year John Tavares the first half of the year Kerfoot I think he can't carry his own line and I think that is why he looks a lot better playing with good players and Who's he going to play with in Seattle that'll make him look good? Because he can't do it himself. I think the argument for Seattle is there are practically no centers available. And that'd be the only reason. And you've seen him perform well with good players. So maybe you can tap into that. But he's a center in the league. Like, it makes sense for them to claim him. That'd be the the main reason, yeah. If we're shedding $3.5 million, like, I, like, say thanks. Say thanks and move on with your life. Like... You can get a player to play pretty good alongside Nylander and Tavares for less than three and a half million dollars and like, you know, throw up like 0.5 point per game. So let's get into some of those names when it comes to left wingers specifically on the market right now, whether it's a UFA, an RFA, uh, someone whose name is high on a trade bait list. Who's a name that comes to mind for you when it comes to forward targets who could fill that left wing spot? Dom, I'll, I'll let you. I'll tee you off here for your number one target. Uh, my number one target is someone who the Leafs seem to be rumored uh, about liking, I think, during the deadline and prior, and that's Arizona's Connor Garland. I think he's a very underrated talent. He's not the biggest guy, but he is feisty, he can score goals, and he's he's got skill, which I don't think you can get enough of, which is something I argued at the deadline when the Leafs opted for Nick Foligno instead, and I think, yeah, you just can't have enough skill. Garland's a guy I really like, and it doesn't seem like Arizona values him as highly as they probably should. I've been I've been very confused on the Garland stuff. I actually I sent out a tweet about him like a week ago. Like he he played to a 65 point pace last year on like a pretty shitty team, and Arizona Arizona is like yeah we're giving up on a 25 year old forward, like. Have they looked at their roster? I I just... Does he want too much money? Like, what's going on here? Like, I'm just very confused that they would even be looking to move him. Like, he's underrated. Like, you're not even selling high unless you, unless you think, like, he's not good at hockey, which would be shocking. 
But, like, it's not like people sit there and they go, like, Connor Garland's a sick hockey player. A lot of people are like, who's Connor Garland? And I've never seen him take three strides in this league. I was going to bring that up. It's always funny whenever an Arizona player comes up because how many hockey fans watch Arizona play hockey? How many games are you watching a year when it comes to the Arizona Coyotes? Even Dom, you watch a lot of hockey. I know you're a psychopath and you have multiple TVs in your house that you watch every single night. How many of those games are Arizona Coyotes hockey games? A shocking amount were Arizona Coyotes games. I thought they were <laughs> they were fun this year. That St. Louis, that St. Louis, Arizona seven gamer. I watched a good amount of it. It was good. What's wrong with you two? Well, my <laughs> my girlfriend is a Coyotes fan, so that helped a little bit. Um, so whenever she was over, Coyotes games were on the TV. Um. But they were a fun team. I bet on them a fair amount, so any team I bet on, I usually put on the screen. And Garland was probably their best forward. And I I just don't understand why Arizona would just give up on that. But maybe it'll take a, a big package to acquire him, although it's Arizona, so maybe not. I've been obsessed with Garland since he was in the queue in his draft year. He put up, I think, a point and a half per game in his draft year and didn't go until the fifth round, which... Again, I think it's just height bias. I think when we see a five foot eight or five foot nine guy and they produce at an elite rate, if they were two or three inches taller, all of a sudden the hockey men would be talking about this player like he was a top 10 first round pick. But because the guy is under this arbitrary height line that we've created, this six foot height line in the world, which as someone who's five foot nine myself, I understand how frustrating that is. Maybe that's part of the reason I go too far the other way on height bias, but when you have a Connor Garland, who, like you say, he has a lot of skill, he's a good point producer, I'm sure we can pull up his microstat profile and find out that he's excellent at moving the puck out of his defensive zone and into the offensive zone, and then completing a pass across the ice. That's something that you need in the modern game. Do you get concerned that in the playoffs, when Ben Sherratt all of a sudden becomes an effective hockey player, that the Connor Garlands of the world become less valuable? A little bit. Um, I feel like these playoffs have been more illuminating than ever that the league is veering towards that direction where they're just going to let teams do whatever they want uh, and call the two to three penalties per game and teams just have to live with it. But I don't think Garland is a typical small player. I think he's really feisty. I think you see a lot of the smaller players on Tampa and how they're still effective in the playoffs despite not being big players because they play big. And I think Garland is one of those guys who plays bigger than his size. He's got a little Danny Breer in him, like a little bit of grease, mm-hmm. even though even though he's short. Just very, very quickly, Ian, going back to your, uh, his, your point in his draft year, uh, Barbashev was on that team, and Barbashev went in the second round, and he had 10 more goals than Garland in 10 less games. He was The points were less, but he had 10 more goals. And I just kind of wonder if people were like, he's riding shotgun like not just the height if they were going not that i'm saying it's justifiable i just i think in hindsight barbashev might have been riding shotgun with garland a hundred percent a hundred percent right but one guy went in the second round and one guy went in the fifth and that team was actually good that year right like he played on moncton they played 16 playoff games so neither here nor there just i i think it's interesting like when we go back and look at why did a guy fall? It's maybe not as, as black and white as we think. But to Dom's point there, like Garland is somebody that's available. But if you look at the free agent market, in terms of like legitimate, like 
top six forwards that can play left wing. It's it's pretty slim pickings. Like we just mentioned Taylor Hall. Realistically, they probably can't afford him. You know, Jaden Schwartz is probably an interesting player, but again, they probably can't afford him. Like the options are actually quite slim. I mean, I've even heard people say Brandon Saad. They probably can't afford him either. You yeah, know? I've heard Blake Coleman again because can't of his run with Tampa in these last two playoff runs. I think he's going to get paid. One guy who I don't think will get paid a lot of money is someone who is he a healthy scratch again tonight? Thomas Tatar. Yeah, this boggles my mind. Uh, the line of Thomas Tatar, Brendan Gallagher, and Philip Deneau at center has been one of the most effective lines in hockey the last three years. If I'm not mistaken, this year they had an expected goal rate of 70%, which a line hasn't accomplished in the last 15 years of tracking these stats. 14 years, maybe. That, again, obviously Deneau is an excellent defensive player, and Gallagher, I think, is the best player on that line. But Thomas Tatar is a zone-entry wizard, and he's the best playmaker on that line. And even though Philip Deneau's done an excellent job defensively in the playoffs, he has one goal. I bet you he'd have a lot more than one goal if Thomas Tatar was feeding him passes in the middle of the ice. So if you put Thomas Tatar at left wing with Tavares and Nylander, or you put him at left wing with Matthews and Marner, I think that makes a power line. I think that makes a legitimate first line at the NHL level. And I think you could get Thomas Tatar in a one-year deal. I don't know what he's going to go for, but based on his playoff production over the last couple of years, I bet you NHL GMs are a lot lower on him than his talent would suggest. Dom, I'm curious what your opinion is on uh, Thomas Tatar. Well, I like Thomas Tatar. I understand his regular season numbers are great. Um, I am just so spooked out by these playoff numbers being real and knowing Tatar has been dog shit in the playoffs that if I'm the Leafs, do I want to sign another player like that? I mean, we... The Leafs picked up Joe Thornton last offseason. You're going to compare him to Thomas Tatar? I'm not going to compare him to Thomas Tatar, but I mean, this was a man who's had playoff voodoo all his life, just always had this reputation of not being able to elevate during the big games, and I would rather they just not go down that direction. Um, I don't think Dominic Ducharme is an idiot. Um, I do understand that the top line has been one of the best for the past three or four years, and maybe he's galaxy-braining it. I'm not sure, but for whatever reason, Thomas Tatar has been scratched in Montreal. He got scratched when he was in Vegas as well. Maybe he just does not have that big game presence. Cole Caulfield was also scratched by Dominic Ducharme in the playoffs. I'm not sure how much I trust his healthy scratching. Well, different circumstance. It's like a, a rookie who's barely played in the league for like a th- like compared to a 30-year-old or whatever, mm-hmm. however old he is. I think he's 30. And he's been what? Their their best player in this playoff run? Suzuki probably, but yeah. Oh, uh, fair. Suzuki for sure. But I'm just saying like I actually didn't mind them sitting Caulfield at first just you kind of sit there like he's a young kid like go watch a few games in the press box and and figure it out. Like it, it's not a bad like I know everyone's like let's just throw young kids right in. That's what the Leafs did with Sandine. It did not go well. Right. They did. You know, they had Nick Robertson in last year. It's like, yeah, just throw in these kids. And Nick Robertson just put his head down and kept shooting the puck into shin pads. And everyone was like, this is sick. Look at him shooting fearless. It's like none of these shots are getting to the net. This is a complete waste of time that, you know, get him off. So I the to further Dom's point, the thing that trips me out even beyond that is this is the second team to do that. Right. Like Vegas did the same thing. And. I don't know. I think it's I think it's crazy to sit there and look and go like, yeah, two franchises like don't know what they're doing whatsoever. 
like for entire playoff runs where they both go to the Stanley Cup final. And like maybe they're both wrong, but I mean the odds of it are actually like kind of low if you think about it. My counter argument is what did Thomas Tatar do right after he left the Golden Knights? He was a first line left winger for three seasons. On a shit team that shouldn't have made the playoffs any of those three years. On one of the best lines in hockey. Who cares? They're on a bad team. The team sucked. I care about a guy who can be one of the trio on one of the best lines in hockey. I get that, but they weren't good when Gallagher went down. I think Gallagher drives the bus like beyond belief on that line. The team in general is absolutely terrible. Remember we were talking about it before the playoffs started. People were like, you know, what about Gallagher? I'm like, well, if Gallagher's there, it's a series. If Gallagher's not, it's not. And it was, you know, as the series went on, we talked about them choking it away. It, it also kind of feels in retrospect, like the Habs started getting healthy as the series went on and the Leafs started losing guys. I mean, Jake Muzzin suffered a non-contact injury, like just casually lose Jake Muzzin for no reason. It, like <laughs> it's yeah, there, like there's something there. I also think to your point, Ian, about the like uniting Tatar on a like a Matthews, like Marner or Matthews Nylander line. It just, it's too similar to me. Like, I, like, who's forechecking? Like, like, they'd be, you know. Who, who's the F1 on the forecheck? Who's the F3 on the backtrack? Right? Like, I'm not going in there. It just, like, you, Ma- Matthews actually is good, and Matthews actually is physical. I just, I don't think you want to look at Matthews all the time and be like, you have to go get the puck because, you know, the other guys aren't. Is there someone who comes to mind for you who would fit that mold? Zach Hyman? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to be back. <laughs> I actually do have a name that comes to mind, and it's related to Zach Hyman. Um, so I have a player like similarity calculator, and I typed in Zach Hyman 2718 before he was the Zach Hyman he is today, and I looked at all the players who were 25, 24, 26 this year, and who was the closest to that. And the second player on that list was Warren Fogle. I really like Warren Fogle. He's a really he's a really good player. Yeah. So similar statistical profile as Zach Hyman before Zach Hyman had any semblance of hands whatsoever. <laughs> and he's bigger than Zach Hyman. He's six two. Like he's a big boy. I think he's one of Carolina's top four checkers. I don't know if they'll give him up, but it sounds like he's out there. It sounds like yeah. he wants money, and he's. I would call them and just say would you swap him for Justin Hole? You guys are losing Dougie Hamilton, just to mm-hmm. see what they say. Evolving Hockey has him on a between two and four year term, so it's tough to gauge it, somewhere in the three-ish million dollar range. No brainer. The projections. Just... And they have the best projections when it comes to predicting future contracts. Well, it'll be interesting this year because teams don't have money um, and the whole pandemic stuff and the flat cap. So I don't know if players will be going for as much as they usually do and players might be more affordable than we think and I think Warren Fogle might not be that expensive but he might be a luxury to Carolina maybe or they might fear that he will get taken the expansion draft it sounds like he's out there I mean if if he's available from them Seattle should actually pick him up like that that would be an easy one for them and they're also allowing uh, Jordan Martinuk to look around. I think he's a decent, just like depth forward. But Fogel, actually, he was on my short list as well of like good players. He's the guy that like sort of hit TJ Oshie from behind, and then Oshie like broke his collarbone, and then uh, they won that series. And I know that because I put, picked a bunch of caps that year in my playoff pool, and Warren Fogel just ran an absolute train on that. So uh, he's a good player. I think that's a really good comparison. And um, 
I just mentioned, like we talked about a bunch of left wingers. They just, they really don't exist other than the, beyond the guys that we said. And, and to be honest, like if you're the Leafs and I really like Blake Coleman and I think Brandon Saad's a pretty good player, but at, at, like at that point, if you're going to overpay those guys, like you pretty much just would rather just bring back Zach Hyman. Like, at least, you know, he's actually good here and like he fits and you know, like he's part of the core. Like at that point, if you're going to overpay for those guys, you might as well just bring him back. And then beyond that to your other point, I know you mentioned, um, you know, like what, what do the Leafs do from like this point forward? And we'll talk about the defense coming up, but I largely look at, at their group and it, it sucked. Like I actually, I did feel a little bit bad for them in the sense that Tavares got hurt and Felino had a bad back that basically like, like he was a corpse out there. Like he could barely move. He was ineffective and he actually is a pretty good player. Like he's not like he doesn't suck, but he last 10 years, he's been a very above average defensive player. Yeah. Like he's, he's a legitimately good player and they got very little from him in part, I think because of that injury and it just neutered their depth. Like they had nothing. Like we talk, like we go back and like, look, it's like Pierre Engvall's not scoring. Ilya Mikheyev's not scoring. Joe Thornton's not even shooting. You know, Wayne, Wayne Simmons could barely stand on his skates half the time. Has a full no trade clause. Jason Spezza will score, but no one else will is the problem. Yeah, Jason Spezza was legitimately good. Like, I don't think anybody would fight that. But he was the only guy of consequence in that entire bottom six. Like, Riley Nash was, like, even less than advertised at that point. And another one where, like, he was hurt, right? And then, like, he just, he didn't regain his form. Like, the, the only hope that they actually had with Nash was, like, you know, if they if they get to a conference finals and they play Colorado and you say, can you just take a few shifts against McKinnon here and there and hold on for dear life and not get scored on? That's about the extent of what he could do. That was always going to be his usage, though. That's yeah. who he's been as a player. But if, if we could get back to some of the left wing targets that we're looking at, Michael Granlin's a name who came up at trade deadline. It looked like the Leafs were really interested in him. I know he can also play a bit of third line center. Personally, I was never super high on him, but at the same time, I'm in love with those passing metrics, those behind-the-net passes that players can make, and it increases your chances of scoring goals. I think teams need to do it more often. Allison Lucan was recently on a podcast where she was breaking it down in great detail. Michael Granlin's one of those players who can feed those passes. And again, if he's a player who's making those passes to a Tavares or a Nylander, I think it's going to have a lot more utility than you know, he does in Nashville where he's making those passes to Ryan Johansson. So, Dom, what's your opinion on Michael Granlin? It is complicated. I actually just made a chart for Adam Vingen, who is our Predators beat writer at The Athletic, because he wanted to see how Granlund, I guess, projected outward. And I changed my projections to sort of account for comps uh, recently, and that did not do well for Michael Granlund. So this recent cliff that he's fallen off of, it seems like it's a legitimate concern and I would be worried about anything with term when it comes to Granlund. At the same time, I do wonder how much of that is the Nashville effect, because that team is just abhorrent. And all their shots come from the point. It's much like Montreal. Yeah. So I think in a better system, he can be effective, and he seems like a really smart player. He was that in Minnesota, and I think he can be rebuilt. I think Toronto has the ability to do that, and I think if he's put with good players on the top two lines, I think he can be effective still but just because he has declined recently i would be a bit skeptical and i wouldn't want to go too long with him 
I also think he's going to get paid. And I think Nashville is going to pay up to keep him. They played him a ton when he came back in the playoffs. Like, like I think he had a game where he played like 24, 25. Like, he was paying huge minutes for them. It, it seems like they want to keep him. Not getting into a bidding war over that guy. If it's like a Tyler Toffoli for much less than what Tyler Toffoli got, obviously, but you look like you're like a week into free agency and you go, I don't know why he's still here, but let's sign him. You know what I was going to say is he's a UFA and he's old. And I looked up his birth year and he was born the same year as me in 1992. So it just, 29 is old now. I'm, I'm, I'm on the wrong side of the age curve. Why do I do this anymore? Yeah, that's not actually old. I thought you were going to say he was like 35 or something, which I know is not true. And then I was about to say he sounds like a leaf, but not two, 29 might be actually too young for this team. Going to be entering his 30s soon. And like Don said, I think the decline is very real with him in a different environment where his passing talents could be used to a, a better extent. When we see him at international events, he looks way better quarterbacking Finland's power play at five on five, getting the puck below the goal line and threading those passes. Always a player I've been interested in, but we've been talking about a lot of forwards. Let's wrap up the forwards before we go to the defense, because I do think that there are way more forwards this off season that are available, whether it's via trade, whether it's via free agency, and if you look at the defense, it's very slim pickings in terms of guys who are going to make a noticeable difference. So as we're wrapping up the forwards here, who's a guy that we haven't mentioned yet? I don't want to be mean here, but I don't think we're close to wrapping up the forwards because I look at their bottom six and it sucks. Okay. Name some more names. They're, but like they just need to sign guys that are actually reasonable for, you know, a mil, a mil and a half that is beyond, you know, Wayne Simmons and, you know, another Thornton-like signing or another Jimmy VC like signing some guys that you could actually sit there and say they can play hockey. They can chip in. They could take some minutes off of our top guys consistently. Like, I know we talked about this on the last podcast. Like you just can't be playing these guys like 23 minutes a night, every other night in the playoffs for two months. Like it's just, it's not real. Who's at the top of your list in terms of bargain bin free agents. You know who the Leafs really missed in the playoffs? Travis Boyd. Wow. The guy was a legend. <laughs> he would have been good with Spezza. Like, they actually could score, at least. <laughs> that man was was good for a goal a game. Yeah. Somehow, some way, he just made things happen. He was magic, and you don't throw magic away. Like Even with that. a 45% Corsi? I don't care. He fucking... He did it. He got <laughs> results. Yeah. That's what he always said about Jake Gardner. <laughs> I honestly do think that they're going to they're gonna sign Derek Ryan. If I was going to throw out a random like name, like, name. we know that they were interested in him previously... That was the year that they signed John Tavares. Well worth it. Derek Ryan does actually have pretty good numbers. He's, you know, reasonably skilled enough that you could slot him, like, as the center for Jason Spezza, and it wouldn't be pathetic. Right? I think that's the hard line. We talk about Travis Boyd. At least Travis Boyd was skilled enough that you could play him with Spezza, and it, and it wouldn't be embarrassing. But you looked off. To, it's really hard. If Spezza's on your fourth line, which is fine, that they're going to go that route then I think they need to commit to it. Like they need to get him a center of consequence that he can actually play off of and like make plays with. And it's not Joe Thornton and it's definitely not Wayne Simmons. Like that, that to me is my biggest hold up there because they sign him and people go, well, it's for 900,000. Who cares? They could bury him, blah, blah, blah. Like there's literally no point of playing him with Jason Spezza. He's not good enough to play on a third checking line. And don't tell me that if he plays like shit, he's going to sit because we know that's not true. They gave him a full no-trade clause. He's he's going nowhere. He is playing every game, at least in year one. 
it's frustrating in, in this sport where we talk about accountability and on the Leafs jerseys, what does it say on the inside of them? Is it honor, pride, courage? It's something like that. There's courage, passion, and something else. We love using these words. We love just uh, assuming that this is integrity, you know, in, 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 in personified in this sport. And then it feels like coaches will never actually back up any of those words with their decisions. And it's frustrating. So then you look, and it's Simmons is in there, probably playing pretty much every night. Spezza, as long as you know his legs are working, is basically playing. And also, as a quick aside on Spezza, they're basically praying to God that this guy doesn't fall off a cliff at 38 years old, which is entirely possible. Like, like Marlowe came in year one and had 27 goals. Like, he was actually good in his first year here. And he, he, he dove like 100 feet from the sky into the pool yeah but there were indicators there if you look at how many of them were empty netters if you look at the micro stats they weren't there he was a legit 20 goal guy that year though he didn't score like 10 empty netters yeah but spezza led the team in points per 60 at five on five and on the power play i think spezza is going to be good i'm just saying like it's not like if he falls off a cliff at almost 40 like like thornton was really good up until a point like it wasn't that long ago that thornton was like legitimately still ripping up the league yeah, once you start getting on the extreme side of the age curve, like you say, it can just fall off like that out of nowhere. So it's yeah. definitely something to keep in mind. But guys like Matthew Perot would actually be a pretty good compliment to Jason Spezza. You know, like some guys that he could play with. We just mentioned Derek Ryan. He would be interesting. Actually, like Alex Wenberg. Like the Leafs need centers, especially if they lose Kerfoot. Like they need guys. I didn't, I didn't have a guy. I was just thinking a lot about what you're saying about Spezza and like giving him someone to play with and just feels like the Leafs half-assed a lot of different identities to make people to make everyone happy instead of just going all in on what they actually are and that meant having this awkward line of Spezza, Thornton and Simmons where Spezza is just like did he did he take that goal from Simmons was it am I remembering that yeah I think that was my favorite moment of the playoffs where he just said fuck it I'm scoring this one and he did I think you've I think you've made a really good point here, too. I've been meaning to bring this up on the podcast with you, Ian, because it's, bur- it's been burning my ass. Because on the other spectrum of things, it's like, I almost feel at times like, oh, we traded for Kyle Clifford. Like, we tried to be tough. It's like, you're not tough because you traded for a fourth liner who plays five minutes a night. Like, that does not make you tough. Like, either, and like, pick a lane. Like, either you want to do it and you actually look for guys like that throughout your entire lineup, or you just don't. But you can't sign this guy and be like, Yep, we're trying to be tough. We signed Wayne Simmons. We're trying to be tough. It's like, who cares? Wayne Simmons goes into a scrum, and he's playing with Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikheyev. And it's like five halves against Wayne Simmons. And you know what's interesting about Dubas built teams is that if you look at his teams in the Sioux, they had fourth lines filled with skill. And and yeah, some of his Marley's teams, they, they signed a Tom Sestito, or they liked having a Rich Clune down there. They value intangibles. They value grit. They value fighting ability they value team toughness but over everything they value skill and what concerned me over the Leafs this past year is that they didn't seem to prioritize skill like Dom mentioned they seem to prioritize guys who are tough to play against and now it's going to be killer instinct in the year 2022 and I just want good hockey players I agree but you were saying that Joe Thornton brought you a lot on the ice when they got him I remember you're like possession numbers are great it was the first thing that Dubas said this guy drives play still you can still afford guys who give you something on the ice 
you know I was on that train, man. You were you were talking about him being sick on line one, and I was, I was saying it, it wasn't real the whole time. Do you remember what else I said? How he'd do great with a rest here and there, and did they ever consider doing that? The first month of the season is the biggest joke, like, both ways. But he didn't want to. He did. This is a bigger deal to me. Fortin didn't want to rest. Simmons didn't want to come out of the lineup when healthy. And they said, okay, we're keeping you in the lineup. That's, again, this is honor, pride, courage, integrity, accountability. Insert word. Other, other than basketball, I don't think the regular season means less than any other pro sport. Especially if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know why teams don't play it. Like, I don't understand why teams don't game it that way, though. Like, it does not matter. Why are you hurting your chances? Why are you taking a 40-plus-year-old veteran and hurting his performance in the playoffs by playing him on a back-to-back in February? How does that benefit you? I fail to see why that's a good decision. He's, they're scared of their vets. I, I think that's very clear. Like, they're scared to go to them and just say, you're sitting. Like, we talked about this last week, so I don't want to go on about it again because I'll just – you'll just get me going on it, but – they're just they're scared to sit them and that's just the reality of the world that we're living in and it's sad and it's a little bit upsetting so you know you know how we used to say you know you got to take Polak away from Babs you got to take Hainsey away from Babs like it's basically at the point now where it's like you got to take the vets away from Keefe because you know he's not going to sit them and that's part of the reason the Wayne Simmons problem it's not that I dislike Wayne Simmons personally or even think that he has some value when it comes to pp2 as a net front presence but i'm terrified he's going to be on pp1 for a lot of the regular season i just i don't see the five on five fit like even beyond the power play like what dom was just saying i just i don't understand how you're gonna he has to be a fourth liner right like no one's gonna argue otherwise but then is that gonna be a good fourth line with him on it and if the answer to that question is no then is he a good hockey player I think that there's certain fourth lines he would be a great fit on. I just don't know if he's a great fit on a fourth line that also has Jason Spezza, because then I sit there and go, I don't really get the point of this fourth line. And that's why they tried him with Engvall and Mikheyev, where he weirdly had the best 5-5 five and five numbers in the season. I guess it made sense, because all those guys did was shoot it from the boards, and he loved going to the net. That's a terrible third line. The numbers liked it. The numbers had him at 55% XG all year. It could be a, a good fourth line, and then Spets is on the third line with X center and X left winger. I think that could work. They seem loath to play Spets more than 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like every night <laughs> there was like a run there. It was like a month left in the season, and Spets was like leading their team in scoring, and they're just like nine minutes, ten minutes, just like oh Jason got his goal, you can take a seat now. And then who got the extra shifts in the top six? Who got those extra minutes? Galchenyuk. Thornton got them. Spezza didn't get those. <laughs> Jason has his goal for the night. Untire skates. Jimmy VC. Jimmy VC got more play time than Jason Spezza for a while. A long time. And that and that's like when we talk about depth, it's I think that there's a real blind spot there where they're signing a lot of these guys. And it's like, this guy sucks from the start. And the Jimmy VC one is particularly interesting because we all know his dad works for the organization. And then he just walked right into the top six. I don't know how that wasn't a bigger talking point. It's just like, go play with John Tavares. Like, you've literally been terrible for pretty much your entire career. Like, Sabres fans laughing on message boards when the Leafs signed him. It's like, go play with John and Willie. And and it's hard because I don't want to sit here and say, I think that Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, and Sheldon Keefe are all idiots. Because I don't believe that. No, I don't think so either. But I also think that they can make decisions that don't necessarily maximize the team's chances of winning, and those can frustrate me. 
And actually, Dom wrote an article about this. I want to say it was four or five years ago. Before you got hired by The Athletic, the extra 2%, and it kind of helped justify all those frustrations I had as a hockey fan. The book? No, but I think it was based on that. It was inspired by the book because I was just reading the book, yeah. Dom, can you explain that article, actually? Because that's one of my favorite articles you've written. Yeah, uh, I think that is the article where Myrtle, Myrtle read it, and he's like, yes, we will we'll, we'll take more of that, please, for The Athletic. And it, and it was downhill from there. Yeah, well, I think it was all uphill from there. I, I mean, you can see my, my stairs in my apartment. It's pretty sick right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Remember the beginning of the podcast? Like, please. Yeah, um, yeah the article, it was when Babs had uh, a real love affair with playing Matt Martin. Um, and I get why you got to play Matt Martin sometimes. It was just the same thing as Simmons and Thorne. Do you have to play him every single game? Probably not. And this was when Josh Levo was in the press box, and we saw what happened with Josh Levo once he left Toronto. He was very effective when he was healthy, and it just feels like sometimes coaches make decisions to, I guess they just have a blind spot where they're not really trying to optimize for the team's best chance to win. And that was basically what the article was about, about how certain players are more valuable and they can provide a bigger jump in win probability. I think since that article has happened, I've gone a little bit more in the other direction and I started to empathize with coaches and understand why they do certain things the way they do. But there's still moments where it is frustrating for sure and you wonder why they do it that way. Yeah, and to that, I'll, I'll say like two things. Matt Martin, I think, is a good example of, I mean, he wasn't, generally effective in Toronto and again he was a guy like who were his line mates not guys that he could you know muck it up with or whatever but the when he plays with the Islanders who does he play with like Kyle Clutterbuck he's like he was the funniest hitter in the league for like five years like his hit reel was absolutely hilarious like he plays with guys that actually play a similar style which is kind of what I look at with Simmons like I think if like, if you put Simmons with Clutterbuck and Sezekis, would it be a hilarious line that causes a ruckus all the time? I'm sure it would be, but not alongside Mikheyev and Engvall. And those two guys I look at and go, like, I don't trust Mikheyev to score at all. I don't think anybody would at this point. I trust him to score more than he did this past season. But if if you could elevate, you know, a 25-point player there to a 35-point player, or, you know, same thing along the lines with Engvall, and maybe make a bit of a better third line and not put so much responsibility on the top six guys who, you know, we mentioned this with, last week with the pension Pan puppet guys, just like the margin for error is essentially none. It was like, it's like if these four guys aren't scoring, they got nothing. Like they need to figure out ways to create offense. Can I mention a potential Jason Spezza line mate in the veteran club that could be crazy Getzlaff? and probably will play too much? Yeah, he's exactly who I was going to bring up. He's going to bring up Ryan Getzlaff. I would love Getzlaff at the right number. Like, he can still play. I was trying to talk myself into him taking the hometown discount, but he's from Regina, so I don't think that's going to quite fit the uh, hometown Toronto boy. But you could call him and say, like, have you seen Calgary and Edmonton? And it might entice him to come here over those two places. It's an idea. It's not set in stone, but again, when you're looking for bargain bin free agents and Ryan Getzlaff, he could resign in Anaheim, but they're clearly in a rebuild phase right now. If I'm if I'm him, I sign with an actual good team, a team who can win playoff rounds, so not the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
If he's cheap, I think he'd be a good player. Yeah, I think you'd get him for under $2 million. I think there's a number of guys in those categories like like can bring you just a little bit extra, right? Like I don't even really like Derek Ryan that much, but he would actually be an improvement over most of the guys that they've been running in the bottom six. Like I like I mentioned Wenberg before. I think Wenberg and he might actually make money because he scored I think he had like 17 goals or something this year on Florida, and that's the kind of thing that gets people's eye. But he actually is a pretty good player, and he could actually provide some good utility to the team compared to I mean. We talk about Keith. Keith clearly hates Pierre Engvall. Like, I don't think there's a player on the team that he hates more than Pierre Engvall. <laughs> William Nylander? No, he he very rarely talked shit about Nylander, but he looked for basically every opportunity he could. Well, I just mean usage. I just mean no PP one time and stuck on the second line the whole year. It, it would, like, Engvall, the stuff would be, you know, they win the game, they play pretty well, and Keith comes out, he's just like, Engvall played like shit today. Missed a back check or something. I'm like... Yeah, in the blue and white game. <laughs> it's like, this has to be, like, you know, I've been following this team for decades now, and this is the first I've ever heard a coach actively talk shit about a player in the blue and white game. Last one I'm going to bring up, but Dom, you brought up Josh Levo earlier. Guess who's an unrestricted free agent this summer? Bring him home. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know how you said that you'd get him to a location where he could thrive? Alongside Jason Spezza is the spot for you on a sheltered bottom six line. Is, is he healthy? When was the last time he played an NHL game? Hey, I'm just bringing him up, man, because it's fun. I think you should start bringing up some defensemen before this game starts. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Who's at the top of your list for defensemen, Dom? Go quick. Uh, Dougie Hamilton. Bring him home. I don't care how. I don't care how. Trade Mitch Marner for Alex Lafreniere and then sign Dougie Hamilton. Boom. Nailed it. Right. Perfect. Right. So I'm just uh, scrolling through HF boards right now. Okay, what else have you got? <laughs> I, I don't know because I don't really have a problem with – the Leafs defense um it depends what happens with the expansion draft but they have a very solid top four with Riley Brody Muzzin and Hall um Dermot is a guy he's fine um they got Rasmus Sandin them's fighting words by the way Dom just saying he's a six <laughs> out of five star kind of player Dom <laughs> You didn't see his slick zone exit? You didn't see him step up that one time in the neutral zone? Who was he playing against? Like, Radom Zahorna? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other team's version of Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton. <laughs> has Has Travis Dermott ever met Connor McDavid? Him and, yeah, he's shutting him down in the neutral zone every shift. I'm oh, sorry, that's Justin Hall. My bad. Sorry. Get my players confused here. I actually do like Travis Dermott, though. I, I think he's a, as much to make fun of before. I actually do think he's pretty solid. The The question on the defense would really just be, what are they doing with Riley? I mean, even if they lose Hole, you could kind of squint and go, okay, well, you're going to promote Sandine. You have Dermott. Or if they lose Dermott, you probably don't even blink, and, and you could just bring back the six. Hell, sign, re, re-sign Ben Hudden as your seventh. And go nuts. Martin Marinson's out of the organization, so that's a win. And off you go. But can I just say I didn't love the Ben Hutton experience? I uh, yeah, I'm not a big Hutton guy. I surprisingly liked Zach Bogosian. Bring him back. I really liked Zach Bogosian. I hope they bring him back on a one year, one million dollar ish contract. I'll be a little annoyed if they don't bring him back. Like there's no you're gonna have Sandine. I I think that's a perfect third pairing. Just playing with a vet, like he's steady back there. He knows his job. I saw some people bring up Jamie Alexiak, and I just think that for what you're going to be playing him at in terms of his role, I don't think you can afford him at that price, what he's going to go for in the open market. Probably a little too expensive. 
again, the question is really, are you just going to re-sign Morgan Riley? I don't think they can... You can't just keep losing guys, especially when they've essentially been throwing picks out of the garbage or out to the garbage for a few years now. Like, you can't just lose guys for free that are that are good. Well, that's why you, you sign Dougie Hamilton and send Morgan Riley somewhere. If that's the move, then great. If If not, though, then, like, at some point, they either need to move Riley and and backfill or they need to sign them to numbers the tough thing is is what does that number start with is it a five is it a six is it a seven dom let's say your large adult son uh dougie hamilton doesn't sign with the toronto maple leafs i always bring up the idea of trading morgan riley i've done it in my writing i do it on this podcast very often people have heard it from me ad nauseum can you make the case for keeping morgan riley because i know you've always been high on him and there's a lot of indicators suggesting that the offense that he provides is probably something that I'm not giving enough uh, credence to. Yeah, I feel like he gives me a bit of Latang vibes from back in the day. Um, probably a lot worse defensively, uh, if we're being honest, but can drive offense from the back end. I think he does the role of fourth forward really well, and it's what helps that top six, top six be so effective with the attack. And I think, I think it was last year... Was he out for a little bit? I'm not sure. Where the Leafs just looked so much less dangerous. And I remember their expected goals rate was probably the same. But you just watch and it's just like they are missing Morgan Riley, the wild card. I'm thinking him as a rover in the offensive zone where they get that motion where four players are just in a circle moving and there's one guy in front of the net. and It's really hard to defend because the passing lanes are, are constantly changing. Yeah, and he's he's basically a forward. And I I like that they let him just do whatever the fuck he wants. And I think signing Brody and letting Brody be the defensive conscience really helped Riley become a better player and more effective offensively. And that top pairing was really strong this year because of he actually had someone to play with. Yeah, and for Riley to be his best self, he, he needs to lean into his own strengths. I remember when Babcock had Tyson Berry and Morgan Riley sitting back defensively and not engaging in the forecheck, not activating into the play, not getting below the goal line in the offensive zone. And I'm just thinking, that's a terrible idea. These guys already suck at defense. So just lean into their strength. I think the Barry thing was totally valid. Babcock was like, this guy sucks at five on five and he needs to figure it out. Well, that's why Barry's not getting paid. If I was Babcock, I would call him right now and be like, you just had a sick point season. Let's see what your next contract's going to be like. And it's probably not going to be that good. And that's why. I'd like to think we can agree that Morgan Riley is a better defenseman than Tyson Berry. Yeah. 100% he is. Even though he had fewer points than him this year. By the way, every defenseman in the NHL had fewer points than Tyson Berry. And you know how many Norris votes he got? Zero. Zero. That's never happened before. So I think that says a lot. <laughs> I did. It does. So I know we talk shit about it, but I totally, I can totally appreciate being like, this guy sucks at defense. Like, we, you, like you need to learn to play it. And what did Berry do? He sucked out. He played even worse, and then, you know, a bunch of other things happened. Babcock got fired, and then they walked him back to the power play for free, and he still sucks. He, he played a lot better once Keith came. Yeah, but he was just—he lapped up power play points, and then he started, like, he, like he, he got some momentum from it, which is fine, but he still sucked, and he was brutal in the playoffs, which is what I would expect out of him. Dom, before we go, how how much should we weight points when we're evaluating defensemen? Because I know that your model does it more than, I want to say, the average model does in the analytics community. Uh, not zero, but not 
much. I feel like it's important for recognizing like a player's offensive ability because I do think there is a hierarchy of what happens when a goal is scored. There's the goal, assist, second assist, and then just being on the ice. Um, and I think that does it does help have that info rather than just look at expected goals for. But I look at Barry's NHL leading, what was it, 48, 49 points, and I just do not give a shit. Because I know less. from watching so many Edmonton games that... Stinks. He was just behind the net. He said, here you go, Connor. And Connor got a goal, and Barry got an assist. Quality of line mates has a lot to do with your point production. Yeah, and I I think to that point, too, you kind of mentioned it with Riley. And I I really like Sandine. I I think he's a player. I I remember at the deadline, and we were talking about guys that, like, would be untouchable, and Sandine was my guy. I was like, I would not move this guy at all. I think he's a good young defenseman. But he doesn't. He doesn't bring the skating and the dynamic, you know, joining the rush ability. And it's not a knock on him. He just plays a different, like a heady move the puck, has a pretty nice little snapper on his game. And like, I'm not saying it to criticize Sandine whatsoever. I just think when people sit there and they go, well, you can just like torch Riley and don't worry because Sandine's here. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Like, and they don't even play very similar styles. Like they're actually very different players to me. I do wonder what his passing would look like alongside Matthews consistently for a full season. I think he would be good. I think he's going to be good and he's going to help the team. I'm just saying I don't think it's an apples to apples. You swap one out, put the other guy in, and you're off to the races. I think there is a notable difference there. And I don't know if it's not – I don't know if it's nothing at this point. I just – I can't get over when I look back at their, their playoff utility over the years. The one guy who's consistently – not been brutal is Riley. And in the biggest moments, in the biggest moments when everyone else craters in those game sixes where they have a chance to actually win the series, Riley's been amazing in those few instances. And I don't want to take too much. And I don't know if that's nothing. I don't know if that's nothing. I know, same, because I'm a big sample guy. But in basketball, when someone has a, a big game in a clutch moment, we seem to take a lot out of it. But in hockey, I'm afraid to do it. I don't know. Maybe I should give Riley more more uh, praise for the, his play in these big games. Yeah, I used to not care at all because I thought it was all fake and made up and bullshit. But the more I watch the Leafs, the more I realize that it is there is definitely something to it. And Riley, I think, led all the Leafs in game score for the playoffs this year because I think his XG was like 70% or something. Like, he was really good. He was good. He was awesome, mm-hmm. and he, defensively, he was really good. He had the he had the one goal where he was like chilling in the slot when Suzuki skated over the blue line and and ripped a wrister in. But then he scored right after it, which was hilarious. I was like, this is the only guy on the team that would do this. Like he that was clearly his bad, and he just he actually stepped up and got it right back. Like it sh- it shows you a little something about him. But then we look back at like the rest of the the NHL like defenseman market the tough thing too is the Leafs have the two young lefties so even a guy that I kind of like like Mike Riley who had a good season this year or at least a productive season like there's no point right so then you look and it's like do I think Adam Larson's a pretty good player that could be serviceable yes but why I think David Savard's a decent enough player but why 
And then there's just, there's not much else out there. Nicholas Yalmerson is someone who comes to mind. Has he completely fallen off a cliff or alongside a puck mover like Sandine? Could he work? He would, I'm sure he would, but he's, I would just bring back Zach Bogosian and call it a day. I think that's the right call. I think when we look at the free agent market, and I think there's an, a few other like reasonable depth forwards that I think could help. I think Sean Corrali is a good player who Boston buried. I think Thomas Nilschick's a good player who could, you know, be helpful. But like these aren't guys that are huge moving the needle. These guys are just like not brutal in your bottom six and can like chip in. But if we're looking at the overall market and I'm just looking at a guy to sign, to be honest to me, it's Drieger from Florida. Like he, I, I would actually put some money in his pocket to come here. I think we'll save goaltending for an entirely separate podcast because I want to get Kevin Woodley's thoughts on this. I've been obsessed with his work over the last little bit. But without going technical into the goaltending, I just want to say I don't think they have anything in the system. I don't trust Jack Campbell at all. I think he could be good, but I think he could be brutal. That's every goalie ever. Yeah, but you just you can't confidently make that bet. You you definitely can't bet on him to any degree. Like you have to bring in a guy. You might as well have two of those. You have Campbell and Dreger. One of them will probably work out. One of them will be good. One of them will probably be good. And I actually like Morazic too. I just don't trust him to stay healthy, which may or may not be fair, but I actually think he's good. That's what a lot of teams are doing now. Again, we'll go into more detail with that next week. But Dom, I think we'll send you off here because you've got a, some, some more hockey to watch. Where can people check out your work in case they're not already reading, already reading you? Uh, you can find it at theathletic.com. Um the NHL side I will be writing some things I have not written anything about the Leafs since they disappointed every single person in the city and I think I'll keep it that way how much are you going to fuck with your model next year when playoff times arrive when playoff times arrive to just put the Leafs odds at like one percent did you see his tweet where he, he just changed the playoff odds for Toronto to zero like you have to in- right <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't zero it was no it was no. no, the letter no. no. <laughs> I, I just remember seeing a tweet like going into the playoffs, and I thought I obviously thought the Leafs were going to go far as well. If nothing else, the division was shit. And I remember I remember seeing people rip on you on Twitter, and you like very logically were like the division sucks, like like it's on a it's on a platter for them, which is true. I don't care that the Habs are in the Cup final. The division sucked, and. Like, I just remember looking at it, and, like, you had the odds high, and, like, all of, like, reasonable things, and people were just ripping you to shreds, because that's what happens on Twitter.com, and I was just, like, I don't understand, like, you know, the leaf, the leafiness aside, it was completely reasonable to think that the Leafs were going to go far. It was very reasonable, but they are the Leafs, and so they defy reason so often in our young lives. God, I love talking about this team and i can't wait to do it again next week dom we're gonna send you off man thanks so much for joining us this week we'll be back next week to talk about goaltending and other fun stuff have a good week everybody we'll talk to you soon you've been listening to the maple leafs hot stove podcast for news opinion and analysis make sure to go to maple leafs hot and join the conversation